Welcome to the St. James Parish Podcast. Enjoy sermons, lectures, and special presentations from St. James Episcopal Parish in Wilmington, North Carolina. Curious about what else St. James has to offer? Visit our website, linked in the show notes, to learn more. John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. Please be seated. Good morning. If I asked you to ponder the the mightiest or the most important rivers of the world, I kind of figured that you would think of the Nile or the Amazon or the Yangtze or, or maybe even the big old muddy Mississippi. I kind of doubt any of you would name the Jordan River. After all, the Nile River is 4,100 miles long. That's much wider than the continental United States. That's about the distance from St. James Parish to, say, Westminster Abbey in London, England. 4,100 miles. The Jordan River, end to end, 156 miles. That's about the distance from St. James Parish to RDU. The Jordan River is tiny, a mere 60 feet across at its widest. By comparison, the bridge over to Wrightsville Beach, 170 feet, three times as wide. The Jordan River is shallow, its deepest point less than 20 feet. It's never been navigable. It's formed by tiny, insignificant tributaries in the mountains of Syria and Lebanon, flowing south, ending unceremoniously in the Dead Sea. Since the Dead Sea has no outlet, there the water just evaporates. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. In all of these thousands of years, no major settlement was ever built on the banks of the Jordan River. There have been and continue to be quarrels over the agricultural, the domestic use of the Jordan's waters, one more addition to the conflict in that region. But generally speaking, by most global standards, The Jordan River is meek and modest and generally unimportant. However, within the broad and historic narrative of what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ, nothing comes even close to the inspirational value, the geographic importance, and the theological significance of the calm waters of the River Jordan Indeed, we know from the book of Joshua that after wandering in the desert for 40 years, decades, even generations, the people of Israel finally crossed the threshold of the Jordan River to enter the promised land. We know that during the time of slavery in the United States, the phrase crossing the Jordan became synonymous with the human dignity of freedom from bondage and from oppression. We know that crossing the Jordan even is a euphemism for the end of our earthly lives as we hope and pray to cross over into God's promised land, God's heavenly kingdom. And this morning, we know from the Gospel of Mark that on another day, more than 2,000 years ago, Jesus was baptized by his cousin John in the waters of the River Jordan. This right here, right this morning, is where the public ministry of Jesus fully human and fully divine, 
begins in the Jordan River. Today is an affirmation that it matters how we begin. It also matters how we do not begin. In his gospel, Mark does not begin Jesus' story with a birth narrative, as we see in Matthew or in Luke. With Mark, there are no shepherds or wise men, no stars or angels or Bethlehem. Indeed, Mark begins 30 years later with the inspired work of John the Baptist right there at the Jordan River. Now, we heard some of the same scripture back on the second Sunday of Advent. Perhaps you remember, we noted then that John was quite a character. John the baptizer, appearing in the wilderness, clothed with that camel's hair, that leather belt around his waist, eating locust and wild honey, proclaiming, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I've baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John was preparing for the way of the Lord. He was preparing himself and others for today. For Jesus, right here at the little old Jordan River. The first place we see Jesus, indeed, in the Gospel of Mark is with John descending down into the waters and rising again. The description of that baptism at the outset is strikingly simple. At first, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the River Jordan. No muss, no fuss. However, we hear then that as Jesus rises from the water, he sees the heavens torn apart. He sees the Spirit descending like a dove upon him, and filled with the Spirit, he hears, You are my Son, my Beloved. With you I am well pleased. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, fully human, fully divine. And so it begins. Now, although today's reading ends here, Jesus' baptism is not even the end of this part of the story. As many of you know, in the very next part, just after being baptized, Jesus will be driven into the wilderness by God's Spirit. There he will be tempted by every form of evil. He's in danger. He's alone. He'll wander in that wilderness for 40 days. Then he'll be tended to by the angels. Then... Jesus, who resisted all human temptations, will emerge out of the wilderness, and he will begin to preach and to teach and to heal. Jesus will say that the reign of God has drawn near, that it is time to repent and to believe in the good news, his good news. This was the beginning of his three-year public ministry, starting with the baptism, starting at the River Jordan. As I read this gospel account this morning, I can't help but realize how foreign it seems to me, to my own life experiences. That's not like any baptism I've ever seen. I would hazard a guess the same might be true for most, if not all of you. Who here would follow a strange man shouting prophecy to the Cape Fear River to be cleansed from your sins? Who here would be willing to be led by God's spirit out into the wilderness by yourself? to struggle with pure evil and God's calling on your life? Who here would trust that the angels would come to your aid after all? The intensity of these few verses is quite the far cry from this sweet and beautiful picture we have today. These two baby girls, Millie and Parker, wonderfully with them, we see hope. 
and beauty and a future in this community wrapping around them with these two precious infants and those who love them. But in that gospel scene of the baptism, even as we acknowledge the presence of God, we're going to see Jesus driven into the wilderness. We know there's a sense of foreboding. Even by being baptized, the perfect Jesus has done something very unexpected. In truth, Jesus will do a lot of things that are unexpected along the way. Later in Mark, well into his ministry, when the disciples begin to say, who's the greatest? Jesus will remind them, whoever wants to be first must actually be last and servant of all. Later, when James and John ask for seats of honor on the left and right, Jesus says, whoever wishes to become great must be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first must be slave of all. Jesus will never call on people to follow him so they can be superior. He'll never say, follow me and everything will be okay. He will say, though, if you want to be first, you must be willing to be last. You must be willing to give up your place of privilege in order to understand the true presence of God. I believe Jesus first set an example for a kind of servant leadership when he simply allowed himself, Jesus Christ, to be baptized by John. Mark, I believe, would say that was a pretty radical act unto itself because this was the very place this day where Jesus Christ begins to redefine the very role of a Messiah that will change the world. I suspect that of all of us gathered here this morning, myself included, our baptisms looked much more like today's baptism than the one we hear about in the gospel. I suspect there was no wild man at your baptism wearing leather, eating locusts, and the aftermath of your baptism probably didn't feel fraught with danger that Jesus faced. If that was your experience, though, come and tell me about it. I'd like to hear more. Maybe we'll even put a story in the grapevine. But truly, even those of you who might have been baptized as adults would likely describe that event as comforting and loving and inclusive, and that is all good and well. Today, though, let's also ponder the idea of a baptism like Jesus's, an act of vulnerability, a precursor to servant leadership, maybe even a model for our life together as a parish family. After all, it is the new year, yes? It's a time for resolution. We're planning our budget right now. We're thinking about programs and our commitments to our neighbors and our priorities for the coming year. As all of us begin this new year together, how are our lives reflecting Jesus' model of servant leadership? And as we gather at this seemingly small amount of water in this basin today, Let's remember how John began. Let's ask ourselves, how are we preparing the way for Jesus? How can our worship and our service, how can our very lives reflect our willingness to be vulnerable in order to better serve Jesus Christ? And if any of those questions make you feel small or insignificant or even incapable of this task, Remember, my friends, remember that meek and modest and seemingly unimportant Jordan River. That's where Jesus' ministry was first seen. That's where transformation took place. That's where God spoke and lives were forever changed.
Amen. As I went down to the river to pray,